Alright, hello, children of the world and the two adults that listen to me curse. It is me, Denar Dale, I'm here with Sam Legault, and we are going to... No general U.S. political introduction this time, no. We're going to talk about The Legend of Korra, Book 2, Spirit. No Vaseline this time. This book sucked, and if you liked it, then fuck you. I'm not doing a compliment <laughs> standards this time. This, this was the worst season of television that I've watched all the way through. And I'm going to take you through why I hate it so much. Yeah, we're going to walk this dog. And it's actually impressive that this dog isn't ugly. Like, it's a poodle, which is to say that it has I don't like poodles. puffy fur. I'm getting somewhere of this. Poodles do suck. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. It has puffy fur and its brain is fucked to hell. <laughs> and it bites everything it tries to love. And it is completely untrained, but achieves no raw, unrefined appeal. Let me walk this one back. Yeah. <laughs> We're walking into this from The Legend of Korra, book one, Air, where there is a shard of potential in it because it is ultimately an uneven season of television mm-hmm. that did not break down so badly. It just never lived up to its potential. Nothing, yeah, it just never lived up to its potential. So you could totally go up or down from here or even stagnant from there. Yeah, it could have just been another season that you know, probably should have been better than it was. And in this season, we get a blimp that crashes down directly into a city, wiping out all life in its impact zone. Oh, the it's humanity. Like a 747 that flies into Pompeii. And on board was the, uh, the Israeli soccer team. And on board was the Israeli soccer team, so somehow we're going to get a Munich 2 out of this. Um, we might you know what realize- I like about the movie Munich, by the way? Since we're... I'm not going to compliment Sandwich Book 2, of course, so all my compliments are going to go towards the film Munich. I kind of liked how you could project whatever your fucking political orientation onto the issue was onto that movie. It's interesting that way. Yeah, it's been years and years and years since I've seen that one, though. Years and years and years. Well, the point is that depending on what baggage you bring into that movie, they are either sweet fighters for justice or just the monsters you follow the entire time. (laughs) And that is the film Munich. <laughs> All right, so we should jump in. We're going to go with the easy stuff first. The stuff that doesn't warrant that much of a conversation. So first of all, book two doesn't look so good. Yeah, book two has a production transition. I think they were using a different studio for book two, which is why it does not look so good. I, The budget must have been smaller. I'm not sure what it is, but no one blinks. Uh, Korra goes wall Wait, 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 hold on. It's more than no one blinking. There is a structural book two blinking game that we played. We did, yeah. In which you just look at a character and see how long it is until their eyes move. They don't. From the corpse stare. Every now and then someone does. That's what lends the blink game some ambiguity. Corpse stare, yes, sometimes they... You know, move on from the corpse stare, but I don't think any of them ever blink on screen this season. I could be wrong. There, there's a chance that I'm wrong, but that Honestly, I observed right no one actually blinks. The impression that it left on you means that somebody cocked up along the way. <laughs> I, I was trying. I was looking. I was making a conscious effort. What's really to find fun it. about the blink game is that it often fails during key dramatic moments. Yes, I remember yeah. there was an episode. I'm gonna round it out to eight because the numbers fail me. After a certain point in the series. Mm-hmm. And the ending shot of the episode, as you might do in a dramatic series following someone named Korra, 
is just the eponymous Korra looking in horror upon a sight that is some fuck up of hers. It's her fault, but some fuck up of hers <laughs> saying, ah, shit, what'd I do? And the face is thinly drawn. The expression does not really convey a specific emotion. You know what they're going for the, because of the situation, but the face is wrong. The problem is that... um is that her pupils are facing in two different directions. Not opposite <laughs> directions, but two different directions. And it's just noticeable enough. Yeah, with that pupil game, mm-hmm. I will undercut that with. While it is so fun to make fun of the depreciated animation just because the traditional Avatar animation is so good, mm-hmm. I think actually at its worst, the animation here is mediocre. Yeah, I mean, it's got the, issues sometimes. I mean, fucking... The real a couple problem, of my favorite Gundam shows had worse animation than this season. This show is actually illustrative in the same way Birdemic is illustrative. This is an old point of mine, but I haven't made it on this podcast yet, so I'm going to recycle the fuck out of it. Okay. Everyone interested in film should watch the movie Birdemic. Because despite the failures in the other areas, it teaches you about editing. Because specifically, the editing in Birdemic is broken. <laughs> The Legend of Korra, Book 2, Spirit. If you are a creative type or just fucking bored, you should also watch Book 2 because it will teach you about script outlining. Not even scene to scene. There's scene to scene problems. There's scene to scene things that work. But it's the outlining because it's bad. It's a mess. It is specifically that that is broken. Completely broken. Utterly broken. It doesn't matter what else they fucking get right because they get this one structural pre-production element wrong yes throughout this uh season as i was watching it i was watching it with the um with the question in my head where is the point where this went wrong Um, (laughs) not necessarily the point in the season but the point in the production of the season where everything went wrong um and i'm gonna i'm gonna return to that point once we've said all everything else that there is to say about it uh because there's a lot that there is to say about this season uh the premise of which um is now that i'm thinking about it way the fuck more complicated and difficult to summarize than book ones uh which you know doesn't bode too amazingly well i guess it's more rudderless i totally understand what people mean when they call book one the second best season of korra also because it is, I because guess. Because it is, technically. It, uh, it holds because a bloody silver medal. Things point in one direction towards one anemic ass And then they get theme. there. They do get there. And they get there, and only half the cast gets buried. <laughs> uh, no such luck for the other half of the cast this time. No, no, no. No one comes out of this one intact. Because book two... Mm-hmm. Call it a theme or a title, but what book two only really has unifying it is an aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. That's that, that's fair. Like, just the glowing, abstract, spirit world this is look. A, Aurora not a theme, kind of not scene. like a setting of the spirit world, because they are not really sure what it means. Mm-hmm. But just spirit shit happening, spirit shit being a wide umbrella for... Oh, did you play Kingdom Hearts 2? No, I like myself. You do like yourself. The combat system's decent, whatever. But the half of the Dark Spirit stuff plays out like the Heartless, and half of the Dark Spirit stuff plays out like as the plot demands. Sure. 
And when I say the Heartless, that is not a compliment, because the plot of Kingdom Hearts is legendarily aimless. But I mean that these are angry blobs that follow our protagonists around. They're not the most interesting looking of opponents. And flail at them until we move on to the next scene. Yeah. Should we try and summarize the season? Just the I season's think that premise? is an excellent premise. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a good place to start. So I think the idea in season two is six months or so after season one, evil spirits, dark spirits, we'll say, is that, that is what they're called, uh, start attacking people, you know, in various places. I think mostly centered around the North and South Poles. So if you are a fanboy of this franchise, which you very well might be because, I don't know, I like Aang, you like Aang, whatever. He did things successfully, getting ahead of myself. Maybe if I you can... are a fanboy, you might assume from these spirit attacks that, okay, so we're off balance with nature or geopolitical harmony. Because those are basically the two things. We, we're super getting ahead of ourselves right now. Let me just... I'm just going to get through the rest of the premise of the season here because we're not going to get through it otherwise. You know what? I'm just going to throw the ball to Sam Coon then. Korra, right, as the Avatar, you know, goes to where these uh, attacks are happening in order to investigate. It involves uh, spirit portals, um, heretofore unmentioned, uh, present at the North and South Poles. And these are uh, physical entryways into the spirit world, uh, which, Mm -hmm. you know, in Avatar The Last Airbender was really only ever accessed through meditation. Uh, that was a way into it, but um, it wasn't. You couldn't get all the way into it. It right. was uh, sort of just a way of projecting your consciousness. Uh, spirit portals, you know, that's that's everything. That's just you are in the spirit world now, right? That um, is the Canadian border of the spirit. It's world. the Canadian border of the spirit world, and she is assisted. You cannot bring drugs or bending. She is assisted, and I'm using air quotes um, here um, in this task by her uncle Unalak. Who is the prickly uh, chieftain of the Northern Water Tribe, um, who has a whole bunch of vague things to say about how the uh, Southern Water Tribe has lost its way spiritually. This is his motivation. This and... is mo- wait, wait, we're getting into a pining on Unalak, and that's going to throw off the fucking summary. Well, I mean, that's basically it for the premise right there. And there's, like, other shit going on, too. Oh, you skipped over the part you hate. What is what is the part I hate specifically? Because as we enter the spirit world, we also learn about the spiritual origins of the Avatar universe and the Avatar concept. Oh, I mean, yeah, I was arriving at that one. So that 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 happens. We get some uh, we get some world building in this season. Uh, that's uh, that's the thing that is it built? Is it built up? No, Denard. No, it's not. And. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> then, then there's like then there's a B plot and a C plot in Republic City where uh, Asami is trying to save her flailing company and uh, Bolin becomes a movie star. And then a D plot where Tenzin goes on vacation. Now, to some of you watching Sam Lego's summer here, you might be thinking he's going in six different non-cohesive directions here in I'm the not summary. going in those directions. The show is going in those directions. That's right, Sam. It's not your fault. It's the product. 
So they introduced a, a number of new characters in this season. Uh, Korra's parents, uh, I don't really care about them. They, uh, the, the, the season doesn't seem to either. Uh, Korra's father is kind of introduced, given kind of a backstory, uh, and then sort of shifted off to the sidelines for the rest of the season in pretty very short much so, order. Very much so. uh, Unalak is a boring villain with motives somehow more vague and nebulous than Amon's were. It's uh, it's difficult to describe them beyond just saying my spirits. Um, and the alacrity... Do you know what the fuck of the thing of the Unalak guy is? Mm-hmm. The first half of the season sort of gets a pass on this because it's why she trusts him so blindly. But the second half of this whole thing really does nothing with the fact that they're fucking related. And he tries to dust her and she dusts him. I think there is no justification for her trusting him so so clearly. I think the alacrity with which Cora comes to trust him, more so than she trusts people she knows and has proof that she can trust, uh, permanently damages her character's credibility, as do most of the things she does and decisions she makes throughout this season. It is impressively terrible. Yeah. Uh, so Unalak has two henchmen. They're his, uh, his twin children. Their names are Desna and Eska. And they have really cool designs, and there's just this fucking thing where Eska is voiced by the um, the truly wonderful and inimitable Aubrey Plaza. So and before I, I go into the river of insults surrounding this character and probably this performance as we go on. spoiling it. I, I think she's a great actress, right? I love Aubrey Plaza, love the uh, stuff that, that she's done. You have know, you guys seen was... The Quiet Hours? I thought it was better than its actual fucking Metacritic Tomato whatever score. I enjoyed that movie. I liked Ingrid Goes West. I, you know, big fan of uh, Parks and Rec, has this, you know, whole lot of folks, and she's great in that. Uh, so, so maybe there is an issue with uh, the voice direction, or it could be that she's just less suited to voice work because I don't know what happened. Uh, but the spooky monotone that they're clearly going for uh, with with her, with her character, uh, just comes off as though they'd recorded the first read-through. She is so amazingly flat and not in a way that uh, advances her character as, like, kind of emotionless I or not in touch with her I guess her character has or... a unique problem that the Avatar universe never faced before, which is, I think she is the only character written to an actor's stereotype. Yeah, it's, it didn't work. It didn't work, and I'm glad we never hit that fucking problem again because it's bad. Her, her dialogue is awkward and stilted, and... There's only one precedent, but it worked. The only other precedent is the boulder. Where they got well, yeah. Well, they got Mick rant, Foley Mick to Foley. do to yeah. do a rock impression, which is fucking beautiful. just because Breik are marks, I guess, or one of them is a mark. Uh, and, and no, and that that was great. Uh, and he was a bit character, uh, and honestly, I would say twenty percent less important to you know the overall story. That eh, probably a little bit more so than 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 Eska is. Uh, Eska it, it does end up influencing you know the destiny of this season. I think she's in season three as well. The problem is not necessarily with her character. I think she's uh, as a character Desna and Eska are somewhat interesting. Maybe it's what the fuck was wrong with the voice direction? Was she not given enough time to prepare? It's it's just it's not a the it's voice not a acting isn't. <laughs> They're just reads. Oh. oh, man. Did you know that about 15% of Weeaboo Hell editing is just turning down the last, by the way? It's a whole thing. 
so early on in the season for again reasons that I failed to um to fully grasp. Are you familiar with the problem of evil, Sam? It's sort of the narrative problem of evil. Why is darkness born within a writer's pad? <laughs> well, what happens uh, is early on in the season, um, for again for reasons I failed to gleam on first viewing and again on second viewing right the the north invades uh the south so there is this idea with blessing it seems like at least at first uh and so then the idea is hovering over this whole fucking thing yeah cora feels spiritually underdeveloped which i would call a neutral property if it wasn't for the random freak out she has at her, her hitherto established mentor there is this idea of Unalak as this respected spiritual figure slash implied fundamentalist and I really think they that certainly the love telling us that I really think the thing that breaks other than the clumsy dialogue bits which there are a lot of with him and it's easy to pin that on those just saying like oh they don't know the right thing but if I wanted to try to be a little less YouTube and a little more granular of this shit, mm-hmm. the thing that really breaks Unalak is that they don't have the spirit world thing pinned down, so they don't have what it means to be a spirit world fundy pinned down. So he's like a third order consequence of that basic thing not being figured out. Like this whole, this is a book called Spirit, where what spirit means or why we should give a shit isn't that consistent or firm yeah it's well i know what he wants right having watched through the season again but i cannot fucking tell you why he wants the thing yeah that he he, does. he wants my spirits he wants my spirits only it's in a way that he wants spirits to be perpetually pissed off i guess or something to that effect i like he's forsaking humanity for spirit i don't know it's He's just, he's not an interesting character, and just to begin with, and then he, none of the things he does make a whole lot of sense. Now, here's the reason I'm harping on this. Mm-hmm. The, like, order one consequences of this actually suck less than the things you're going to complain about later. Like, they, they hurt less, they seem less shitty on paper, right? Mm-hmm. But it's sort of a broken central engine kind of thing, and I'm a... I'm the narrative equivalent of a holistic medicine person mm-hmm. in which I think when sometimes when the center doesn't hold, the rest starts to start flaking off. It's why Mark Millar's plots fucking suck. Like he goes well, it's into- sort of like how like a tooth problem can cause like massive systemic health failure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, and why, you know, before modern tooth. dentistry, people just died a whole time. So before we get to the colorful things of like the shipping or the fight booking or Nuktuk. I have to talk about the spirit thing because I really think it's a problem. And it's it, kind of at the core of why this season doesn't it, work. And it being broken, then the flashback doesn't work, then unlock doesn't work. So this is the boring part. I think it's important. Okay. So basically in the original series, like they actually don't get super complicated, the spirit stuff. And it's a little less ingrained than you might remember. They keep it soft. They keep it soft. And the spirit world is basically always a soft projection of either a personal problem Man versus nature, or a geopolitical thing. Yeah, it tends to uh, function kind of like a um, reflection of the uh, of the real world. Yeah, and they not only do they keep it soft, but it's tangibly soft, and that's important. Mm-hmm. So we come into season two, spirit, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's a lack of vision or one hand not talking to another. 
But between the fulcrum speeches, what people do, what resolve things, and what drives conflict, the spirit world thing is like easily eight different stupid fucking things. And I'm not even sure I like any of the explanations. Like the return of certain beloved characters basically tells us the spirit world is an emotional projection of what whoever is in there is feeling at the time, which is kind of shallow and lame, but would at least be consistent. But before and after that juncture, what people are feeling around the spirits means fucking nothing. And in fact, our hero comes in pissed off and ready to fuck after being told how important being peaceful and calm around the spirits is and the consequences of that mean nothing in a positive or negative direction. So not that. There's a stupid, dumb, dumb, stupid thing in the first half of the season where the spirit world is basically played off as a vague, dogmatic, Abrahamic religion thing, which... Why? Why are you bringing this in? Why are you bringing this in? Why do you sort of drop it halfway through? There is the sort of video gamey thing where, again... I know I keep on bringing this in, but semiotically, they do just feel like Sora has wandered into a new room in Kingdom Hearts. With the dark spirits. The dark spirits. The one thing I'll say for them is that they all have a very unified look. It's just that this look is samey and not too particularly interesting. That is a strong thing, this... This kind of has the problem with the spirits that some of the off entries in the Star Wars franchise have of action. Which is like a lot of the Star Wars action is framed in terms of like these, you know, Jedi Geki sword fights or these spaghetti western gunfight scenarios. Mm-hmm. And that's what you use to make things or people look cool. And sometimes when they stray outside of that, they don't know what they're fucking doing and <laughs> it looks like they're vomiting on their shoes. And that's the problem that the spirit fights with whatever they're fighting, sometimes happen in this book. Okay, sure. The things that they have, a lot of the floating dark spirits, at important plot junctures fighting important characters, just aren't drawing from the same action vocabulary that all the bending stuff is. And sometimes it just comes off weaker, I get. And once again, all of this stuff is more technical and prosaic than the things I will have fun screaming into this microphone about later in the episode. (laughs) And we'll get there. But I think it's important because at the end of the day, this is like sort of an epic fantasy action thing. Well, it's a very foundational problem with the whole uh, whole season. Yeah. Like, they built everything else on top of that. And uh, it's just, it wasn't a solid enough um, thing to build anything on. Um, Very... Very much so. So, so. so there's what you're talking about. You know, the uh, the action piece and the semiotics. Where I think the best place to come in with this season is, is um, it features what Ebert called an idiot plot. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a term of his, in which the plot is perpetuated. Um, the plot is perpetuated by the idiocy of all the characters involved. The first, uh, the first half especially sees basically everyone become belligerent, shitty, and short-sighted because Unalak and uh, Varric's individual plots would be undone by 
pretty much just a calm conversation between the main characters. The um, man doesn't lie. With all the facts on the tables. Um, and instead, they spend the first half of the season yelling at each other and making dumb decisions that get them uh, deeper into trouble. Mm. Uh, and then it'd almost be okay. There could almost be a... Um, a certain dramatic irony or even tragic element to it if it weren't contrary to everything that's happened up to now. Um, and I'm going to return to that last point. A few of the other um, new characters, or really just one new character that we had, we need to discuss is the uh, the Varric character, who is uh, he's, he's Howard Hughes by way of Sokka, uh, because that is... every single comedic element in this show is something by way of Sokka, because they had... <laughs> Yeah. They, they they held lightning in their hands and they wanted to do it again. The soccer recreation thing is wild. I can't say particularly in the season. Maybe it just strikes me harder because I hate it. But if you're a Marvel Comics head, you'll just think of the number of plots that are, we finally recreated the super soldier serum. <laughs> And that's what all of the Sokka echoes in this feel like. Like, just another monster they have created trying to chase those punchlines. And, man, they just do not let you fucking go. They chase you with these fucking recreations. Because they met the farm on Varric. He is mm-hmm. all the fuck over this season. Uh, less so season three, and then all the fuck over yeah. season four. Varric right? is at the end of a fucking splatoon level and everything is red and Varric's team color is red and he says don't you love my what i've done of this world it's and, it's all me and it was bold it was bold of them to really go for it with uh with Varric like this uh but he's annoying and it didn't pay off uh and it goes back to what i was saying about uh them trying to play money ball and like you were saying recreating soccer by using uh to continue the baseball metaphor uh, less expensive <laughs> players shall we say but they don't even make the postseason. Varric just comes off like a fucking Joss Whedon reject most of the time. One bit of credit I'll give him is that jail cell gag. That was very funny. That was I think that was the best gag in the season. The jail cell gag? And there was a really strange interval somewhere over the halfway mark of the season. It was after the flashback. Mm-hmm. And there was just one entire scene where the Varric thing worked. And I remember the specific joke that was charming me. Sure. He is, like, talking to the core team, trying to justify his actions. For which he should be taken out to a shed and shot. And that's a problem that hurts season four. But <laughs> it would be unfair of me to maybe point at season two with that problem. Because you could just have a character that deserves to be shot in a show. Yeah. But justifying his, his character as each individual member of the core team. He says, remember when I helped you and advised you and saved your company and got you thrown in jail? (laughs) And he just bumps over that last one. And that joke works. And that joke working was important to me because I realized this was the emotion I did not feel during every other line of dialogue (laughs) that he spews. And he has so many lines. Oh, God, he's got... I don't know how exactly... I guess I could count, or I'm sure that there is, someone has run the numbers somewhere, but I want to say that he's got something like the fourth or fifth most lines of dialogue in this season. (sighs) He sort of insinuates himself into um, the B and C plot of this this season, which is to say um, Asami and Mako's B plot, and then Bolin's C plot. Mm. And Bolin's dumb shit movie subplot uh makes me so mad with how much a waste of time it is for not being funny 
because it's there to just be funny. So the entire Bolin plot in this season, I shouldn't say the entire because there's another, there's a second thing and I'm not sure but the Eska thing may just be worse minute for minute. I don't care about it as much. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make me as angry as the fucking, um, as the Nuck Tuck plot. I think it makes you less angry because the Eska thing is at least theoretically related to the actions. Exactly. Yes. There is this old Hollywood parody. Mm-hmm. Essentially, a Genghis Khan era John Wayne film. I was gonna say like uh, the um the serials, like the serials, uh, like Buck yeah, Rogers, more like Buck Rogers. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking. I was just thinking of their version of fucking Unlock with that, but there's essentially this Buck Rogers or the way that the media has trained us to remember Flash Gordon mm-hmm. parody, whatever the fuck thing called Nuck Tuck, Hero of the South. That's supposed to, it's tied to the main plot. Is that supposed to be a propaganda piece to drive the world to war? And then it fucking doesn't. By the way, this this thing basically exists on its own. Uh, its existence ends up doing fuck all for the greater plot at hand. And my pet theory, bet amongst yourselves whether this is fair or unfair, but I think they just wanted to make the lightning strike twice on the Ember Island player style of gag, since that was just such a beloved fan foundation, whatever the fuck thing. Because it's, it's full of medium gags. They're trying to do like practical effects of bending and shit. And, you know, they have the old grain film filters and people trying to do stilted dialogues and impressions of plot elements. Mm-hmm. Which are all kind of things that are sort of present in the Ember Island thing. I don't know. I could be wrong. And it ultimately doesn't really matter whether I'm right or wrong because the real fucking problem, and maybe there's a funny version of this gag in the Universe, but what I am given is just unfunny joke after unfunny joke over and over again. And however much I can bitch about romance in certain things, mm-hmm. there is no genre that hurts more to watch fall on its own testicles than comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you were saying, you know, if that comedy is uh, coming from parody. Yeah, I I have this thing. A pet peeve is the wrong term because I'm more fascinated because it seems to be something that recurs way more in animation and other things. I don't know why, but parodies within things that are bad in and of themselves that have no right to parody anything keep on popping up in my weeb shit and I don't know what it means. And I think I'm going fucking crazy. <laughs> and Nuktuk is this random guns out shot at the fucking 1920s just existence of early cinema. And I'm like, well... You haven't done much into intervening 80 years, I guess, because I'm watching this horse shit. <laughs> I just don't know what the fucking plan with the Nuktuk thing was. Well, I do know what the plan is, because the Nuktuk thing ends in what I guess is Bolin's moment for this season. I'd which call it a high water mark. Is he gets some good choreo in a fight scene after acting like the world's biggest ponce. Oh man, he was such a fucking douchebag. I'm gonna arrive at that. Like, I've got some points about that that I'm gonna bring up later. Okay. Uh, when I just kind of kind of go through everything, but Sam's gonna turn into the cleaner. <laughs> fucking Morgan was watching with us for a second, and there's this a real fucking mm, uncomfortable ass <laughs> scene with the Bolin subplot that is 
Never really answered. <laughs> I forgot when Bolin got cancelled. When Bolin got fucking cancelled, where he, like... Yeah, I'm gonna say, at the very least, sexually harasses his co-star. I mean, I think that's actually just the precise term. I'm not, uh... And it's sort of treated like a faux pas instead of a massive fucking violation. It's it's treated as like a daffy dog, like ah, what and he a doesn't know that he's and... wrong. He never comes to understand that he was wrong to do this. Uh, and the the premise is um I'm... during a shoot he ad libs and just gives uh gives his uh very uh, you know his very attractive co star just like a fucking full throated uh, kiss right that she is clearly disgusted by and made a very uncomfortable by uh and yells at him <laughs> after the fucking after they cut. He's a friend of Harvey. Yeah. The the way that they treat it is that he was just so in character that he thought that this was appropriate. And um, it's all tied into how uh, egotistical he is now. No, it's just... He's fucking lucky that they don't have, like, an avatar equivalent. Oh, yeah, Twitter. there's not a thing called Clicker that's that 32 Earthbenders running castanets or something. That and Because that'd just be the fucking end of you. It kind of, again, it's, he never answers for it. It, w- it was a bad idea to write that scene, just mm. as it was a bad idea to do all the fuckboy nonsense with Mako. I don't think, ultimately, that Bolin deserved to have that happen to his character, uh, because there's no fucking getting past that. It's hashtag rapey. I mean, the thing that is weird on a different political spectrum of that, that is important. Mm-hmm. That is real. That is inexplicable. I don't really have a one-liner for it because I sort of look at it and I'm just shrugging at the idea. But the other thing that's just bizarre to me about the entire sort of early Bolin line of plot there. Mm -hmm. Remember that first episode where I said that it was like after the fucking plane hit the tower? They're like, come on and slam the characters. Just just people getting diverted, things that didn't matter in a way that just buried them as... Mm -hmm. Human beings with brain stems. Bolin's whole thing of starting a e truly Hollywood story after his most trusted person in the world walks up and says like, "Yo, there's no yellow cake uranium in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the papers, man." And what he says is, "Dude, I just wrote this song called Cherry Pie on the back of a pizza box. Let's go." <laughs> I, um, it doesn't do good things for him. No, um, none and of this he season does. Is a straight protagonist. He is not a tweener in the wrestling sense. He is not someone that the plot feels needs to be redeemed or has gone astray. Oh, just straight up good guy, or so we are meant to believe. Again, it's just one of these broken foundational plates. And I'm fascinated that we have talked about all this other stuff and we still have not hit the big things that people fucking hate about this season. We gotta start with the little things that people fucking hate about this season and then work our way. For instance, so, Amnesia! amnesia wait, I had to that, do we're, it. we're about to leave Bolin Island. That's why I hit this one point. Yeah. We talked about a bit of choreo that Bolin gets at this at the sort of peak of his little microplot here, right? Mm-hmm. What was interesting about that is that's another thing that manifested a joke from the first episode we did on the fucking Korra thing. Which is... I said there would be a threshold where there was just cool choreo, but you no longer cared about anything that was happening. Yes. That scene is one of the peaks of just that idea in this season. Yes. 
like arrangement wise, it uses the geography of like, okay, this is a pro bending arena. Okay, he's this desperate one on X situation. There are these observers. Yeah, the fight is um. There's how money would you say in it? it, like not booked necessarily, blocked. but it's uh, blocked. It's uh, constructed in a very interesting yeah, way. That's the word. But the circumstances surrounding it, why this fight is happening. What had to happen in order for this fight to happen? We are at least six. We, the number is six or eight. All of the fuck-ups that had to happen. <laughs> you are pretty firmly detached from caring about this event in space by the time it happens and... Not just this event, but most of the events in this season. It's a really big fucking problem. Uh, because this is, what, something like eight, nine episodes into the season. And at this point in time, everyone has been so stupid and belligerent uh that i don't really care where their characters are going anymore their vision of conflict as a concept in this book is just someone being wrong knowing they're wrong and, and being getting really louder. loud about it yes and i think you m- maybe can get away with doing that once with one character who people know are an idiot but the beloved hero and it tests of our the goodwill, world. And it tests the goodwill tests- of the viewers, you know, even if you do it just that one time. And they have everyone doing it all the time throughout the season. But when it's supposed to be like our beloved paladin hero and their steadfast, even-handed, sort of smart guy love interest and their sibling who's supposed to have a sort of homegrown street-level wisdom... I guess. We're talking intentions, not executions. Intentions, yeah, yeah no, no. okay, fine. Somewhere in his character summary on paper, Bolin has insightful, in air quotes. <laughs> and the mentor, who is wizened and sort of pulls them through the world. It's like this character virus that bounces from character to character, and everyone could prevent themselves from getting it by wearing a fucking mask, but no one does. They all get a fucking they all get a fucking turn at it. They all have to fucking quarantine for ten days. So I'm gonna use one particular thing to sort of work our way into a um a larger, broader discussion of uh of this kind of point for point. And uh it's again I gotta make the fu- it's a cliche at this point, the fucking few trauma amnesia <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. Which at first I was thinking all right, I don't want to rag too hard on this because it basically comes up as a, you know, MacGuffin, uh, basically just to have her uh, need to undergo the flashback to meet Avatar 1 and such to do the beginnings episode. Like, that's why she forgot. Amnesia. Um, but the problem with Amnesia, Amnesia is either the entire story or it is none of it. Do not season your food with crystal meth. You either <laughs> smoke it or you don't. That is a dangerous fucking thing to be working with. That was my initial thoughts, and then I was reminded of Meth. what else they uh, they did with it because they do they bring it back one more time for one more purpose, oh, uh, shit. where they use it as a MacGuffin for Mako being a fuckboy again. Like, yep, here we are again. Thanks, Brike. Uh, and I don't know why they do this to him. I want so badly to like him. Uh, he's spent the season up to now being. More or less the savviest character who has fun fights that I care about. And then they turn around and have him do scummy shit like the show is punishing you for finding him at all compelling. I don't understand it. It's like if every time you 
idled in Mass Effect, Garrus just took out a little pipe and started sprinkling blue crystals into it. <laughs> and if you think it's bad now, you just wait until book four where the story contrives itself to waste the character and put him in this uninteresting, inconsequential subplot with that dickhead prince is like, well, like a final punishment for the sins that they had him commit. And Dude, fuck that off. plot in book four is like a final punishment for the sins of man. Why this is the worst season and season four is my least favorite was because I just, I like Vako and I felt like I was just having them fucking spit in my face the entire time. It's impressive on multiple levels. So this particular bit of character assassination brings me to the MCAS, the Mobile Character Assassination Squad that I brought up in the first episode. They are episode. an elite unit. They are, I think, the most powerful military force in the Korra universe after the hero squad bites it. Yes, probably. We'll go character to character because no one survives. Uh, and not even Tenzin. Like, I, I, last episode, Dude, I falsely... I have to even... retract something. Uh, last episode, I falsely said that I liked Tenzin throughout all four seasons of the show. He remains untouched by bad writing. No. No, no. In this no, season, no, 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 no. he is fucking rancid. It is impressive. All right, so we're going to start with Korra, who is aggressively idiotic and incompetent from basically the beginning of this uh, season to its end. Like, everything yep. that goes wrong does so as a result of her stupidly trusting this Wait, new dude who is obviously untrustworthy I'm going at best. to go undergraduate here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go undergraduate here. We're going to do a close reading of a particular line from our boy Tenzin, our former boy Tenzin, mm -hmm. our after this boy Tenzin, to Korra. You've always been strong, unyielding, and fearless towards the dramatic climax of this motherfucking season. Which, in epic talk, is supposed to mean something. Let's talk about how strong, unyielding, and fearless Korra is in this season of television. I think you could make the argument that she is fearless um and unyielding strong is another is another situation though strong is a vast hole <laughs> there's sort of like two broad kinds of strength people refer to mm-hmm i was thinking of course i i'm getting to what you're about to start talking about here all right back to you michael shea so <laughs> So what I was saying is that everything that goes wrong does early on in the season and then like the problems compound after that, right? Everything that starts to go wrong does so as a result of her just stupidly trusting this new dude who is obviously untrustworthy. Anyone can see it at best. And then uh, turning her back on people she spent an entire season fighting alongside. And this is also the season where her win-loss ratio starts getting embarrassing. And I think this is, might be what you were uh, working towards. I don't think it ever really truly recovers. I think the it does not recover. No, I think the her intent. strong, unyielding fearlessness really, really, really does not recover, and it's a fucking problem. Like because it is supposed to be her main character engine. Like it is, in theory, the thing that is appealing about Korra, and it just dies. I think the intent was that she was supposed to be uh, learning a bunch of difficult lessons the hard way. Uh, in, in such a way that they would make her ultimate triumph all the more impressive, but it backfires. And all of these struggles uh, feel like the result of terrible decision making and, you know, a sudden allergy to ass kicking <laughs> um, that add up to, uh, to make her triumph feel less impressive and just unearned. 
wild. So that's Korra. That is how Korra gets assassinated in this uh, in this season. And I really want to emphasize the like she's an idiot now. And she she wasn't. I think she was um perhaps somewhat gullible. Mabel maybe in season one, like she would uh she would be easy to lie to. Um, and now she just just aggressively buys into lies. And when we say assassination squad, get away from the modern CIA that tries to maintain plausible deniability. No, no, I want to get you no, to this those. this is 70s shit. This is, this is that 70s hard war crime CIA. <laughs> Just like, the, like the, the ones that went to South and Central America. Yeah, yeah, the ones that they don't talk about in history class so that you like your country a little, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Alright, so Bolin, right? <laughs> Useless. Arrogant prick and a sexual harasser throughout this season. Uh, stupidly trust a villain. You noticing a pattern here? Mm-hmm. Uh, after having just just having stopped the exact same kind of villain in the previous uh, conflict. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Everyone just left a conspiracy plot. And then another one comes in and they're all... Like, oh, they all just turn on their friends immediately. It's fucking incredible. Like, here's the seemingly benevolent industrialist who is actually fueling the season's conflict. Uh, and spends most of the season in like the unfunny subplot that we were talking about. Where we have to sit through all this tired ass, previously nice dude is given a taste of the limelight and becomes a fuckstick trope. Which I hate. I hate that fucking trope so goddamn much. It's it just so goddamn played out. And the fight he had that we were talking about would have been cool if it had not been facilitated by how much of a goddamn moron he'd been up to then. Before that fight scene, I feel like in their heads or in their outline or in their intentions... Maybe there would have been a sequence before that where he rejected the idea of being a fuckstick. But instead, he just sees someone trying to kidnap the president and says, Wait, I'm against kidnapping the president. Shit, I should probably do something. The Airbender kids. Mostly exempt. Uh, Jinora sort of had an arc. They kind of did something with her. The airbending kids are merely boring rather than having their characters dragged like out actively. behind a shed and shot. And or... shot. Like, Iki's just treading water throughout the season. She doesn't change in any meaningful way. And Milo is just... She's... I know, he's annoying. They still. all just have... Basically riffs on the same animal Ken thing. Like, Iki has sky bisons and Jinora has spirits and... Milo has... The lemurs. Lemurs. I think they should have all been one character called Genora, but I have Pixar disease. Uh, yeah, no no net gain or loss here, really, with the airbending cuts. Uh, oh, wait, no, no, Milo's annoying as fuck. Yeah, but that's canceled out by Genora sort of having an arc. Oh, okay. Yeah. An yeah. aggregate. Um, so, Lynn. Brief mention of Lin Bei Fong. She's barely in this season, uh, but spends most of her screen time just being a uh, an obstacle with impressive in fact, types. I'm going to reverse my Pixar law. Mm-hmm. I think they should have invented a sergeant to be a fucking moron to not bury this character they intended to use later. Yeah, man. Because, oh, she's, her entire role is just to make Mako's job more difficult and to, like, come up with, basically just to be a reason that he does not immediately succeed at what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so she, that, that, it, it's her fucking turn now to fucking just, you know, be beneath the boot. It's like she no doesn't have a reason to trust him after, you know, what they'd gone through in this previous season. Like, Fuck all of that noise. <laughs> Thankfully, they somewhat redeem her in season three because season three is a fucking treasure and we're going to get to that. Oh yeah, that's going to be our real 
island of smiles and what I can only assume is a shit rain of bitching. Yeah. Speaking of bitching, uh, Tenzin uh, is a whiny piss baby in this season who regresses to teenage levels of unimpressive angst uh, in the presence of the most minor shit. Like, I don't it's know not a good if look you guys all. got Nick and Knight. I watched Avatar, which often played late and ran into Nick and Knight, so I'm somewhat over, uh, huh. aware of it. I thought it was just George Lopez. That was a phase. Prior to that, Nick and Knight was a lot of retro ear TV. Okay. You would see I Love Lucy, all that shit. Okay, sure. The wavelength of Tenzin's behavior in this book are very akin to the histrionics that were given to leading 50s women in these sitcoms. He has this temper tantrum over the fact that Janora is all spirity or whatever, and then he wasn't. Yeah. There might have been a a version of this where it revealed some interesting insecurities, and it certainly was what they were going for, but he just looked like a fucking child throughout it. It is an impressive burial for someone whose character concept I resonated with. It's like they sat down and said, okay, so if he just gets his ass kicked, Denard will still sort of like this guy, so we need to think of how do we really rob him of that essence yeah so asami asami's character says help me mako my business so if she was boring in season one she's boring and useless now (laughs) she just kind of ping pongs around trying to get people to solve the driving problem of her subplot uh and her and mako's rebound thing was also very unwelcome to say the least the problem with her I can't say they intend to that, because I think, if nothing else, she might take up a few less minutes. Oh, wait, no, the Mako thing really bloats out. Okay, her... Yeah, it bloats, it bloats, man. The problems with Asami really gets worse, like... She doesn't do anything useful, which... I know if you mostly watch, like, dramas or comedies, that doesn't really mean much to you, but what you have to understand is that we are wandering through these fucking Monkey King plots... And there is just someone who is an anvil, and they say, don't you love anvil? <laughs> they know I don't fucking love anvil. No. Drop that shit. Every time romance becomes a factor in this season, in this season in particular, I mean, in this show in general, but this season in particular, I get real fucking annoyed because it's never handled well. Mako, by the way, besides the fuckboy thing that they keep doing with him that I already touched on, there's mm-hmm. the whole um thing where, like, so he betrays Korra in the Southern Water Tribe because of my rules and my principles. <laughs> there's a lot of mu in this episode for me. And then, like, an episode later, he's like, ma, actually, ma, 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 uh, ma. fuck my rules. Uh, I'm going to go off the reservation because I just need me more of that sweet sound. So when you say later on, what you mean is... The episode after the one. It literally immediately after. A- after he'd made this big character decision to um, more or less betray his girlfriend to stand by by his principles. The second that is uh, resolved itself, he decides to betray his principles to stand by his ex-girlfriend. And I just, I, I why do they hate him so much? Why do they want him to do I, I don't understand. I'm fucking losing it. Sometimes I just imagine this guy who looks like Mako's character model just stamp kicking one, either Brian or Michael, I don't know, but just stamp kicking one of them in the face on the, on the fucking middle school playground. Yeah, I feel like they're sort of getting their frustrations out or something with this guy. I don't fucking get it. In conclusion, just all just for, for all of the character assassination, I mean, right? The conclusion I came to is that pretty much everyone acts like none of book one ever actually happened. 
Like, they forgot the bonds that they formed with one another. They forgot all the lessons they learned, immediately yeah. put all their trust in the first new billionaire industrialist they could find, and they did everything they could to assume the worst about one another's intentions. Like, this season is so fucking miserable, and I think that that last bit is at the core of it. Everyone suddenly kind of hated one another just a Someone... little bit. It's like fucking Degrassi. Like, uh, a lot of the joy present in the original series uh, was that you were in on this fun journey with a group of friends, and maybe they don't always get along, but they clearly enjoyed one another's company. Like, you feel like you, you could hang out with any of them. And they didn't necessarily have to um, go with that this go-around, but the way they went so far in the opposite direction that I barely care what happens to any of these assholes. Because that's who it, they are. They're fucking assholes. It really undermines the just core character interactions that were honestly laid out in a decent way to, like, sort of, I don't know, just root you into caring about this shit. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem because the superstructure of the plot is not doing a lot to pull you in because it has some gaping fucking holes and it's just basic machinery. The underlying thing, like the character relations, aren't drawing you in because everyone is having their fucking skull ventilated by the character assassination squad. (laughs) I'm done. I've had my fun. Then the question becomes, what are you here for? I guess there's the inertia of being into the Avatar franchise. Oh, do, don't you want to learn about the origin of the Avatar concept? Wow, not even a little. Tell me more. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we are arriving at my main complaint for this season. Because Hachi, fucking everything Machi. else, everything else, even the whole everyone's an asshole thing, uh... pales. It pales in comparison to this. Uh, the, the world building is midichlorians level bad like prior Mm. to this right uh the avatar was understood to be a sort of vertex to all things right man and nature material and spiritual law and chaos and all four elements cool the avatar spirit was a world spirit right and its domain was all-encompassing that like it was sort of like never said out loud but sort of seemed that it was just the spirit of the planet right you know what's an equally compelling concept what if one day aladdin tripped on his dick and fucked up and landed on a spirit. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, the uh, the world building um, and mythology present in the series was based upon elements from uh, a few of the big religions from South Asia, like Buddhism and Hinduism and some Jainism, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and the Avatar fit in really nicely with that, right? Uh, but then you introduce a Satan figure for some reason uh, in Vatu, and suddenly all of that is undone. We are now in Judeo-Christian territory. Here is the Avatar, and they are good. Here is Vatu, and he is evil. Uh, The text claims that Rava is, in fact, a spirit of balance and not good with a capital G, but this uh, rings hollow given how she and Vatu are presented to us. And when it comes to how they're presented... God, it hurts my fucking balls. Sorry. I'm really glad that this is not a video podcast because I'm tempted to just pat down my poor aching loins, but when it comes to the... Rava Vatu thing. Jesus fucking Christ. It is harped on upon about how Rava is a spirit of light and peace and things that are good and half of this Rava Vatu pair. And after all of this pseudo-Buddhist stuff, we're just getting on this train of how Yang is always bad. You should have no Yang. Fuck Fuck balance. All my niggas hate balance. The way that this is played in terms of 
Korra and the Avatars, the various Avatars' relationship to these two spirits, I thought we were headed towards one terrible ending. And this one terrible ending would just be, okay, so Korra is going to also inherit the dark spirit because she has to balance the thing out. And she'll be like, I don't know, the edgy Batman avatar for a while. And I thought, okay, kind of crap. Kind of crap. I'll take it, though. I kind of crap. I'll, I'll take it, though. It's a narrative direction. You can do things. Oh, this is actually the character assassination squad for the avatar as the broad thing. Because they slit his fucking throat <laughs> by a fucking sewer and dump his body and say, balance my dick. Because we do not find balance between these two spirits. Because Vatu is explicitly positioned multiple times as just chaos and well, darkness. That, that's the thing. And you've you got, don't... like, balance, right, as a concept. And they have it be this binary thing where, like, balance and order and good are a value of one and evil and imbalance and chaos are a value of zero and you want the one not the zero by the way do you know what is three times as stupid about this just in this particular one compared to all the other avatars we have the spirit of chaos and darkness is the bad thing that must be killed this is our most aggressive and countercultural avatar (laughs) Yeah. Um. So it's, there's a few points that I want to that I want to um, <laughs> okay, get to yeah, here. Let's let's go back to the uh, Sam show. Yeah. So in the complicated world of today, right? <laughs> you could claim that balance between good and evil is a bullshit ivory tower ass concept, and I would broadly agree, honestly. Like two things though. First, first balance is the bed that they made for themselves in Avatar: The Last Airbender, and it fucking worked because Avatar: The Last Airbender is not the real world. It's a, just a Ghibli-esque fable via Star Wars, basically, right? Okay. Second, evil was not presented to us as this abstract elemental force the way that it is with Rafa. Avatar was far more humanistic in its approach to evil. It was when the world that is an excellent point. Yeah, it was when the world was thrown out of balance that evil could prevail. This was an effective way of uh, presenting two facts about the world. Uh, first, that the Avatar's presence was needed to prevent that imbalance. And second, that evil is a human problem and not the result of some Satan figure. When you personify evil like that, you take um, its ultimate theoretical defeat out of the hands of people and leave it in the hands of God. This is one of my big problems with religion in general, and uh, now I have to deal with it in fucking this. And, like, the Avatar is not a God, at least not fully, uh, nor is the Avatar... Christ figure. I'm in danger of getting into like some theoretical bullshit now, so I'm just gonna back up and conclude with don't make good and evil into tangible elemental concepts in your show about balance. It is fucking antithetical to your mission and cheapens everything you've done up to now and going forward. It is also why just Unalak's thing as a fundamentalist does not work. Yeah, it's because you make, you make him someone who just worships evil and i'm there what does what the fuck does that does this fucking mean is he on coke what you're telling me is that unalak loves hard drugs i'm just the more i think about it the more fucking pissed off i am that they just tossed out like the humanism that was present in avatar the last airbender just like oh these... yes <sighs> so beginnings right the two-parter with Juan. um beginnings beginnings is kind of fucking fascinating because it's a tragedy uh, it is a day in which when this was aired live, all of us in the pits of denial, tears streaking down our cheeks. <laughs> the, day the, <laughs> the day of the cope. The day of the cope. To repossess fucking pseudo all right just the day of the cope. 
we're all like, they're turning the ship around, around. baby. And, and they weren't. They were not turning the ship they around. They weren't. This was. They picked up there a new was no art style. going back from here. Uh, so Beginnings is a tragedy because it plays out in such a fascinating way. It's story feeling uh, like something out of a fable or a it legend. Fucking balls. Uh, but because of the aforementioned damage it does to the series world building, it was impossible to enjoy it for what it was. And besides the same thing, it does something else that smacks the prequel trilogy bullshit. It rewrites the origin of Bending to retroactively fix a uh, supposed deus ex machina from Avatar The Last Airbender that, to my knowledge, people really only had minor quibbles with at worst. So, like, Lindsay Ellis, right? had this great point that she made about the Disney live-action remakes where they updated uh, Beauty and the Beast to feel less like Stockholm Syndrome, I guess, when it demonstrably fucking wasn't in the first place. And they made mm. a few of the characters more mi- misogynistic and shitty so that you end up rooting harder for Belle, which came off as gratuitous and unnecessary. Similar shit at work here. So in detail, right, uh, the Lion Turtle's appearance at Aang's lowest point was not just good use of Campellian mythology, uh, but good use of metaphor to advance the theme at the end of, of uh, Aang's character arc, right? Like, And that theme was, you don't have to sacrifice who you are in your heart in order to fulfill your destiny. The Lion Turtle yeah. uh, didn't even necessarily exist, honestly. Like, It could have just been a representation of the Avatar spirit that was present within Aang the entire time. Yeah. Right? The metaphor... Um, was that Aang reached deep within himself to find the strength that he needed in the face of everything, even his past lives, uh, to end the war on his own terms, on the right terms. Dragon Turtle is just a cool way of expressing that metaphor diet... Fuck me. The Lion Turtle is just a cool way of expressing that metaphor diegetically. It is that Mm. strength that he finds, right? Yeah. Uh, But since that's not immediately clear, you get YouTube comments, uh, I, I guess, and Bright read one too many of them. So they scratched the whole idea that humans learn bending by watching and learning from, you know, like dragons and badger moles and the moon and shit. Um, shit. It was just this thing that dragon turtles gave them because they needed to retcon the idea. I fucking called them dragon turtles again. It's fine, and you know what? They used to tell us that we learned fire bending from from dragons. Lion so turtles, fuck it, right? Right. These 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 lion turtles are at least a quarter dragon. Fuck it. Lion turtles, all right? Um, just handing out bending to people in the Avatar world, like Christ. Like not everything needs an explanation. It's like they lost faith in the strength of the world building that they'd already done. Like everyone, it's like they lost faith in the world building they already done. Sam, everyone fucking it's akin thinks. to it. Is it metaphorical or did they lose faith in the world building they'd done? Everyone already fucking thinks that Avatar: The Last Airbender was one of the greatest animated series of all time. Like, why are you trying to fix it? This stupid fucking George Lucas. Bullshit. Beginnings tanked this series' net value just 45 minutes, and Avatar The Last Airbender is a worse series if you don't ignore that these episodes exist like I do. Like, oh, fuck. I, we spent a lot of time with the spirit interactions and in beginnings, and the more spirit shit that happens this season, the more I am convinced that it doesn't fucking mean anything. It doesn't. It's like, just... I just... Disparate every time. It, has, it seems to have a different underlying logic every time. Like, not even, like, the... Forget my fucking YouTube-ass instincts in terms of this specifically didn't do this, this didn't do that. Like, just the Colbert's truthiness of various spirit interactions. Like, it's essentially a culture clash in beginnings. After this, in the Iroh segments, in the whole Wonderland shit, 
it is just character interiority projecting itself on the environment and I'm not saying individually these are all bad directions to go, like all this fucking Tokyo drifting between mm-hmm. consoles, but what it adds up to is you just don't know what you're fucking doing with it in this book called Spirit. I don't know why I'm fucking here. I have this thing I don't like in fast sci-fi narratives because I am fucking borderline a nutter, right? Mm-hmm. And that thing is, in the midpoint or final segment of the plot, just going super abstract because you don't have a specific thing you thought of. Think of just a second Matrix film. Neo walks into a blank room. You start to understand just when I just sort of start to lull over to the side. <laughs> Very few things have done this well. Yes, there are things that have had a certain charm to it. And yes, I know there are certain Evangelion fans just throwing their hands in the air saying, you don't understand my art. I'm not specifically calling you out. But to think of a dramatic example of I mean, just how this shit goes wrong. Fucking, Do you remember the ending of the... Do- Sorry, what? Fucking Aang, Aang, you know, confronting or, you know, meeting the lion turtle at the end is an example of this being done well. Because, you know, it is all about execution at the end. Is it about execution? I might call the lion turtle at least a little more anchored in not random shit than all... There are these sequences, these long races where things just happen because they happen. And maybe even the fact that it doesn't feel like it fits this mold and building with the lion, with the lion turtle is an example of it just being done well. I don't know. I, no, I do know. I hate my use of that phrase. I don't know. I need to, to break that fucking habit because you know what I'm fucking saying. What I'm saying is that they are writing this series fucking nose to dick first and it's not fucking going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. Like, this wasn't... Like, the way that they wrote season one was a mystery box. And this isn't even a mystery box problem where they'd written themselves into a corner. They decide to just fucking rewrite all this shit apropos of fucking nothing. And I hate that I'm nerd raging here. I'm not going to be the putz who tries to justify it by going on about how important Avatar was to me and how it got me through hard times. Like, I'm some shitty YouTube video essayist. It just infuriates me. He did the jack-off motion. It just infuriates me to no end that they wanted to gild the lily this bad. They just melted the poor fucking thing. (laughs) It's hubris, is what it is. It's this hubristic surrender to the idea that everything in genre fiction needs some diegetic, in-universe explanation, or else YouTube nerds will yell at you. And that's a fate worse than death, apparently. Cowards. J'accuse. Man. Some real just awkward growing pains of people not used to getting bullied on the internet, huh? Oh, Iroh coming back and apparently never having died with cynical fan service and fuck you because that's all I have to say about it. I tried pre-writing a segment about the Iroh thing and it was actually unpublishable. <laughs> it targeted multiple protected categories <laughs> of people. And I would like to apologize to them. So the thing about the fucking Iroh thing is that before I get to how I just feel about any of it, they really just sort of reduce him to this Pokemon. And he is this Pokemon that says, Light, pie show, tea, tea light, pie show, light, tea light, pie show, tea, friends. <laughs> and I don't know who this man is. Because when they were doing all of their Iroh shit originally, back before they started taking mushroom tea in their off time, they remembered to have like little human things like, I don't know, maybe he's hot for his one random firebender guard, or maybe he's pissed off at his nephew for betraying him. 
Or maybe he thinks Zhao is kind of a cock. He thinks Zhao is kind of a cock. He doesn't really want to do it today. Maybe he's really he's, lazy he's kind as of, balls. He's kind of lazy. He's old. He doesn't feel like he wants to like be doing shit anymore. That, that was nice. There was like these little things that made him human. And yes, like like you're saying, he's the Pokemon. He's this um pull string doll. Yeah, he's a pull string doll version of his character in this. That is why it really sucks. Maybe there is a dark, dark fucking executive boardroom hi-fi version of this where the cynical and, yes, going back to Sam's point, it is cynical and spiritually abrasive that he has brought him back for that cheap pup. <laughs> like, you're like, hey, this is everyone's little dad figure. Let's just see. He never died. Everything is fine. The world will go you don't on have as to, always You was. don't have to live your life knowing that Iroh died. As if you were unable to. But even within the spectrum of just the accepting the idea, we're gonna bring Iroh back. It doesn't fucking work. And I know I am hammering this point home, but it is, I think, just one of the root cracks other than just yelling the word bad riding. I'm trying to avoid that. I'm trying to be a little be technical here. Mm-hmm. The Iroh spirit echo thing doesn't work because you don't there isn't actually a thing that the spirit world is in this whole spirit (laughs) thing and everyone is just shouting the word spirits and it doesn't fucking mean anything and it's actually worse than the midichlorians because the midichlorians are a specific bacteria that make you better at force shit and they at least know what they're fucking doing (laughs) no one knows what they're fucking doing this entire time in the spirit book of avatar and that's you have a separate theory on why this entire se- season is broken. And I think that is just the base crack. Is It just doesn't fucking mean anything. Could be. So. That's my call shot. That's a good call shot. I don't disagree with it. I have a different, um, I kind of have a different, uh, different take, but we'll get to that. Before we do. Yeah, boy. Dark Avatar. <laughs> The concept would not feel out of place uh, in one of those 80s shows that came about once Reagan let cartoons sell shit to kids. Yep. Like, your Transformers, your Thundercats, and your My Little Ponies of the world. Like, this is probably the concept most deserving of tomato-throwing ridicule this season, but I'm going to restrain myself. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Like, it's gauche, certainly. It's a betrayal of the show and the universe's humanistic themes like I was talking about. If you were to rank the worst things about this season, I'm just going to say it's in the abstract top three. I don't really know how to rank them. I think it's in the top three, yes. Out of the top three, it is definitely the funniest bad thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. The the strangest thing is that it's so fucking forgettable. I honestly forgot about the Dark Avatar (laughs) thing until I, I was sort of running through in my head where this season went. I'm like... Oh yeah, and then he becomes like the, like the Antichrist well, or something. In your mental summary of this, Rita Repulsa could have parted the clouds and said, "Make my Unalaka grow," <laughs> and it would have sort of had the same net effect. And the net effect, right, is this truly forgettable final boss fight. Uh, and it and it's such a shame how forgettable it is, given how much they juice the stakes and the spectacle. It's it's stupid. It's just <laughs> fucking stupid. Like, I don't know what else there is to say about the Dark Avatar thing, except it's fucking stupid. It's it's fucking stupid. The one thing I think every college-educated adult, and Bryker in this category, mm-hmm. 
is at some point you get the sort of thesis, antithesis, synthesis idea beaten into you. Oh, Hegel. Hegel, yeah. yeah. You get the you get the Hegelian dialectic fucking shit hammered into you. Yeah. And if you're going to hammer me with four seasons of the people saying the word balance, all positive associations, mm-hmm. and you throw this idea that there's a light spirit and a dark spirit, and our protagonist of Mick Good Person, Mick philosophical guiding light has the spirit of fucking peace and order and there is an anti-spirit and the ending does not involve the synthesis with his anti-spirit and honestly as a character Korra is kind of decently primed for it like it's someone who how effective it is is whatever but they are more aggressive than the avatars we've seen, mm-hmm. save maybe fucking Kyoshi. They are more chaotic in their impulses, however stupidly that manifests in some <laughs> places. Sorry, this is the only fan booking thing I'm gonna put out there because it just I am literally confused at just the outline of this thing. I had I had what you're talking about as a note, and actually I was like, this is fan booking, but this fan book and and this is fan booking, but I just. It's not. I just don't understand what the fuck it is. <laughs> I don't know what the. It's why I keep on harp. They, they they don't know what the fuck this point. There was no idea. Actually, there was an idea. The idea was the dark avatar, and it's, it's, fucking, avatar. Dumb. it's fucking dumb. It's fucking dumb. It's These fucking dumb. These kids funny. are gonna love it. All right, let's let's wind down a little bit. I'm getting kind of towards t- towards the end here of what I had to say. Um, okay. and this is this is like a, a, a kind of minor quibble, just just an amuse bouche between courses, right? Because I'm getting to my final fucking. Oh yeah, you... towards the end of this season, uh, you run into uh, them needing to inject a joke into every fucking moment that was supposed to have some amount of dramatic heft. The Marvel yeah. problem, basically, right? So, for instance, when Korra and Mako uh, formally break up like adults at the end of the season finale, and I like this scene a lot, right? Um, uh, it's, it's actually a really nice moment, uh, and the characters feel like they've grown. And then fucking Bolin pushes his way into the scene with a funny face on and asks Mako if he wants a hug. And the moment is deflated, and what should have been a tender, bittersweet scene is marred by the show's insistence to just put sock shit in everything. In everything. It like there was even a good way of doing really does not benefit from it. There was even a good way of doing that scene with the exact same dialogue that would have worked where, you know, like he and Cora, you know, act like adults, break up like adults and Bolin is in the room and just genuinely asks, "Hey, do you want a hug?" And then, you know, he and uh, he and Bolin hug it out because they have the most interesting relationship in this show. And, you know, that yeah. that whole dynamic of theirs is only going to get more interesting in book three. Real high watermarks in book three there. Yes. We keep talking about the way that we've been talking about doing the Korra episode or the Korra series. We're going to get to it way more quickly than we got to doing the Korra episodes. One final thing. And this is the YouTubiest I'm going to get this uh this evening oh hit me with it hit me with it so in my critique of this show and it's in my notes Mm -hmm. i said after the iro thing i will cease to be fair to this show (laughs) because it is the most cynical cloying thing you can do from their half of the equation and then it makes me think certainly yeah damage goodwill makes me think 
So so why am I playing by the rules of war then? <laughs> no, no, we have to be better than them. We have to be better than them. Okay, we're going to we're we're going to rise above. We're going to fucking book fire ang this. We're, gonna, we're, we're gonna, not going to kill the melon lord. We're going to be better than this after I get through with this this YouTube nitpicking that I'm about to do. So you let spirits into the human world at the mm -hmm. end of the season. Created a permanent bridge. All right, you know, um, Ko the face dealer <laughs> is a is a spirit, uh, and he's a malevolent mun. Uh, so is Wan Shi Tong these days, um, and I'm sure there's more. They're just about now. There's about now. That's a fucking problem. That's a huge fucking they're problem. Just, they're just there, and Korra must be feeling real confident with uh, her abilities <laughs> as the Avatar. Much more confident than I feel in her abilities as the Avatar. You know, given what we've seen. Dude, she just spent the whole season getting her shit <laughs> by spirits, and she's the avatar, and now she's thinking that everyone and everything is just going to be fine and dandy. So I'm going to go to my thesis, and I'm going to go to a stupid fucking point. Mm -hmm. To my thesis, the reason this nitpick occurs to you and not to them is because you have in your head a consistent idea of what the spirit world is, why the spirit world matters, what the implications of that are. And they're flying by the seat of their fucking balls. All right. I'm going to leave that point for a bit. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to put my clown hat on. And on a similar point, that whole dark avatar thing, mm -hmm. when they dust unlock Vatu together, if he's a dark avatar, they have to find a kid now and kill him, you know? <laughs> they have to keep finding this kid who's getting reborn as a spirit of evil. And they have to murder the fuck out of this kid over and over again for the rest of the cycle, because, like, if you let this kid hit, like, five, you just have, like, a fucking... I don't even... What's that fucking possessed kid movie called again oh the omen it's, it's like gonna be the, the fucking omen <laughs> in the avatar world. it's like the kung fu omen and you just know every like fourth kid is gonna be a kung fu genius just pushing people with shit in I, <laughs> what got me thinking about it is that um you need to always be killing a child <laughs> right because the second the child dies another child is born the reincarnation of the dark avatar so you need to actually there needs to be infrastructure. There needs to be resources. There needs to be an entire organization dedicated to hunting down the newly born dark avatar and fucking drowning him in a river. I think there needs to be an organization called Planned Avatarhood. <laughs> it needs like everyone, if it, if it works the way that it does with the Avatar, right? Where there's a cycle, right? Where you know, like yeah. it's gonna be an Airbender, then it's going to be a Waterbender, then it's going to be an Earthbender, then it's gonna be a Firebender, and such. Like they need, they have fucking regional branches in each of the various, you know, like <laughs> lands. I guess. Oh man! Eventually, they are going to accidentally kill an Avatar too. That'd be <laughs> fucking great. And, you know, well, it's good. It's good that they have fucking telephones now because they can just get each other on the horns. Like, the job's the, done. The job's done. The bitch is dead. Earth's next. Earth's next. And so, you know, like, they're like, okay, it's go time, people. We need to find that kid and we need to fucking <laughs> dash it against the rocks. <laughs> oh, God. It's like that fucking... I remember which comic book this. It was... I, I hope it wasn't crossed because that's just a waste of mental RAM. Mm. But it's a thing of like grabbing a baby by the legs and smashing it against the Bible. <laughs> well, it shows up in the Bible enough. I'll credit it to the Bible. Well, let's credit it to the Bible. Okay, so watching this season.
And you see me laughing as hard as I am. It was almost fun. I was like having a drink and telling stories about a really shitty old ex. Um, and the betrayal, right, is already in the past. So all that was left was to laugh at the ineptitude with which this season was executed. <laughs> and I'm trying to find the exact point I Man's can follow. Wrong. I, I, the exact point that I can follow everything back to and figure out what went wrong. Um, which is probably a fool's errand, but I'm going to try. Uh, at the heart we of try. this season, I think, is um, is this feeling of discontent. Uh, like their mission was yeah. that nothing could be the same anymore when they were through. <laughs> uh, they, they literally have Cora fucking say it at the end of the season. Nothing is the same anymore. Like the status quo would be destroyed. Uh, they were going to turn the show, the characters, the universe, everything on its head. And they did. They succeeded in that. Nothing is the same uh, once the season wraps. And the result of that is the animation equivalent of fucking new Coke. Like, <laughs> yeah, nothing's the same. It's worse. And I cannot believe that they almost fixed it. But that is the story for next time. Does that make season three vanilla Coke? I love fucking vanilla Coca-Cola Coke. Coca-Cola Classic. Do you know why it's called Coca-Cola Classic? It wasn't called coca-cola classic until after new coke ah it was just called coca-cola man that's one of history's best fucking beitu no switches huh mm-hmm. fucking fascinating that is probably all the time that we have for today unless you have anything else to add i'm done i need to i, I've I need to system. revisit how much Screen time wise, we bet the farm on this fucking Nuck Tuck shit working. <laughs> there was so much of it. Like, as a joke, as a narrative device, as some kind of statement about how propaganda works. And I am in there. And every It didn't section, work. It the didn't propaganda work. didn't work. Nothing of consequence happened because of these fucking movies. Movers, whatever. God, stuck my dick. <laughs> and you know what? Instead of a comment sandwich, I'm going to make. Uh, compliment toast or something because mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by I picked out the Bolin fight but like the initial fight between okay I like to call Vatu fucking uh, Costco sovereign <laughs> but like the initial choreo bits there are fun but I no longer care because of midichlorians mm-hmm. there's this fight in the forest between Bolin, Mako, and the and twins has an interesting like sniper idea. Oh yeah, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. I just don't care anymore. So they really just manifested that fucking kind of like they're the. It's weird seeing that the fight engine is still active and workable in the show, and just nothing fucking matters anymore. I remember there was one I just thought like I really should care about this, and it's actually not as well remembered as the others because it's not really at a plot fulcrum because the plot's completely aimless at this point. It's because we're just hammerheading it into the wand thing. Yeah. But there was a scene which I think should, should, would, would be remembered more if this was a good season of television where Korra is driving a boat and the two waterbending death twins are just jet skiing behind her and that's like a cool waterbending idea. Yeah. And the whole thing is just framed her trying to like fight these two at once. And it's the first time that their synchro thing really looks cool mm-hmm. all this adds up to a fucking raw 2020 fuck finish with a dark spirit <laughs> coming out of nowhere oh 
nitpick that we did not get to because all this superstructure stuff was broken mm-hmm. was that the uh, dark spirits just do not look very interesting on a design level because they are blobs. Yeah, they're blobs. And that is oh, that was actually the original logic behind the Kingdom Hearts joke. They just look like the heartless they blobs. They just look like heartless blobs. Yeah, yeah. So just so you. So all... we've kind of come full circle here. We have come full circle. That, that was here. like the very beginning of the episode. This is the Avatar franchise bringing balance to the idea that anime is more than a Japanese thing. Because after bringing in all these good entries, they showed us it could also bring shit anime in from the West. Mm-hmm. I am Denar Dale. I am Sam Legault. This has been Weeaboo Hell. It is Weeaboo Hell. I dislike the police. Fuck 12. Drown and cum Trump. <laughs>